and welcome to the Giddy Carousel of Pop, the podcast that takes an old issue of the swank pop mag smash hits, that's swank, and has a good nose through its pages with a guest. I'm Simon Galloway, and left to his own devices, he probably would, and who could blame him? It's Gavin Hawk. I definitely would. <laughs> Given half a chance, I definitely would. <laughs> um, so before we set the carousel spinning in motion, Gav, who's been supporting the podcast by buying us a coffee? Well, Si, we have the enigmatically entitled Russ. <laughs> Thank you, Russ. <laughs> Much obliged. Richard Drew, previous guest on the pod, who says, Pop Kids salutations. Love you both. Well, hey. Do you know what, Dickie? We love you too. Yeah, look, that love runs both ways. It sure does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've also got Ricardo Autobahn, who says the Mark Ellen edition was fascinating. Neil Tennant next? Question mark. Well, finish and say that, Ricardo, because exciting news is that we don't know any more yet, but <laughs> it would be very nice. We would, if Neil, if you're listening, mate. Get in touch. There's a seat waiting for you. Yeah, absolutely. We'll keep it warm. We'll have, you know, whatever tea you want, we'll get a part of that ready for you. We even put a little shout out, really, didn't we, Si, in the latest edition of Classic Pop Mag. We said that Neil Tennant would be the next guest we'd like. So we're trying to kind of put the sign out there in as many ways as we can and hope that he, he'll respond. Gently coax him in. I reckon some Earl Grey tea should do it. And That's what I thought. Some ni- nice biscuits, yeah. He's quite sophisticated like that, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he is, yeah. Like, yeah. probably quite posh biscuits, like, you know, them Prince Charles ones, yes. something like that. Yeah, 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 definitely. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Maybe get some Ferrero Rocher on as well. Yeah. That kind of thing. <laughs> posh stuff, you know. <laughs> Thanks also to Fenton Steve. I don't know if that's Steve Fenton or Steve from a place called Fenton, or I'm not sure, but Fenton Steve, thank you very much. Much obliged. And last but not least, the magnificent Sheila, who says, this has quickly become my favourite podcast. Pure nostalgia and really entertaining. Swingerillion. Well, Sheila, take a bow. We salute you. Thank you very much. Much obliged. Indeed. And if you want to support us, you too can do the same. It's very simple and it can be just a one-off thing or you can buy us as many coffees as you like, as often as you like. Just go to ko-fi.com slash giddypoppod. That's ko-fi.com slash giddypoppod and chuck us a few quid to help keep the carousel spinning. Indeed. And listen, if money's a bit too tight to mention, like Simply Red, then uh, if you just want to leave us a few stars on our ratings or give a little review, that would be much appreciated as well. Yeah. And just go into whatever podcast app you're using. There's probably some stars there that you can press. Five yeah, stars. I mean, Come on, five stars. Make star. it five. Five. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> five star, like the band. Yeah. It's easy to remember. Yeah, systematic. <laughs> <laughs> so, Gav, what's occurring and the land of the carousel. Well, Si, thank you for asking. In the land of the carousel, Mr Stevens, who's the man in charge of the dancing bears at the fun fair, is beside himself with worry. One of his ursine performers has done a midnight flit and he needs to find a replacement urgently. He contacts the Flaming Lips to see if they can help and they pass on the details of a dancing bear they once collaborated with at Hammersmith Apollo. Mr Stevens secures the bear's services, but when she arrives, Mr S is disappointed to discover that she's not an actual bear, but a human in a bear costume. The contract of employment is abruptly terminated, but the bear takes advantage of the free entry to the funfair and goes on every ride regardless. She eventually arrives at the giddy carousel with a squeal of delight, and well she might, for she is Nadia Shireen, writer and illustrator of many children's books, and, rather wonderfully for our purposes today, ex-Smashit's employee. Nadia, welcome to the carousel. Before we begin, 
Of all the horses you see before you on this giddy carousel, which horse would you like to sit on? Describe your choice for us. Oh, wow. Well, I'm really excited that you describe me as a human in a bear costume because that really is my biography, I think, in a nutshell. <laughs> so I would have to go for a sturdy horse, a sturdy-looking horse who could take my bear-like hair <laughs> Because um, I'd be really excited and I'd be, yeah, uh, I, 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 yeah, this sturdy, stoic horse, maybe with a kind of Johnny Marish haircut. Ooh. Horses have that kind of hair, don't they? Nice little fringe. Little fringe. Yeah. Sort of a Johnny Marish fringe. Sturdy <laughs> of the north. That kind of, that kind of horse. A northern Johnny Marr horse. Yeah, we get yeah. requests for those a lot. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's always asking for them. <laughs> in time-honoured fashion, the carousel will start spinning upon your truthful answering of this question, Nadia. Have you ever been sick in a gumboot? <gasps> no, having to think about it, no, I haven't. OK, well, as long as that's a true answer, then the carousel... It's true. The carousel will now start spinning. We are off. Yay! Hey, hold on tight. Uh, so the carousel <laughs> has spun us back to the smash hits of the 7th to the 20th of September 1988, which Nadia has picked out for us to have a look at. And if you want to read along with us, you can do just that. Thanks to the like, Punk Never Happened and Smash Hits Remembered websites, you'll find the links to the scans of this issue in the episode show notes, along with Spotify and YouTube playlists that include pretty much all the songs and artists featured in this issue of The Hits. You'll also find these links on our website giddypoppod.home.blog and we'll post them on our twitter and facebook feeds as well just search for the giddy carousel of pop or at giddy pop pod now nadia before we get stuck into this issue of smash it's mm-hmm. um you worked for the for the mag yourself i did how, how did that how did that come to pass um it was i mean i'll try and do a short ish answer but i moved down to london in 2001 um with um, a fiver in my pocket and a head full of dreams uh, to try and get into the magazine industry, uh, which I kind of did um, just by working for free for months and months um, on various magazines. And, and then after a while, I saw an ad in the paper in the Guardian Monday media job section for a sub editor at Smash It. And I kind of fallen into that role of being a sub, a sub editor, as opposed to a writer in my head, I had this romantic idea that I was going to be the next Miranda Sawyer and write features and write reviews. I just didn't have the guts or the personality or the know-how really to do that. I was just grateful to get kind of junior sub positions, uh, sub editor positions at that point. So when I saw the sub editor ad, I thought, well, you know, I'd be working at the mothership. That would be great. But this was 2001. So, you know, I was quite an earnest wannabe trendy 20 something I was never trendy but I always desperately wanted to be uh and so the strokes and I'm trying to think of the bands who were around at the time but it, it was that kind of era like the libertines and the strokes and other horrible people I didn't mind the strokes <laughs> that much but the libertines oh, I couldn't bear the liberties anyway it was that kind of time so I was like oh smash it's won't be covering the bands I like and they weren't they were covering blazing squad who I'd never heard of at that point uh and busted but, you know, that, I mean, they'd very much repositioned themselves as a teen girl, uh, not teen, a pre-teen girl magazine. Um, it was very defined at that, uh, during that era. But, you know, smash it, is smash it. So I kind of, I went into the interview with um, a copy of, in 1986, there was an article in Smash It, so I'm sure many of your interviewees have referenced, where Neil Tennant goes back to Smash It for, for the day. 
and he plays at being editor for the day. And it's so funny. Chris Heath's written it, so obviously it's brilliant. But it just does his day as diary as a diary. And it's like, oh, Neil just Neil goes for another coffee. Neil goes for a two-hour lunch. Neil stares out of the window. And uh, I loved it. And I, I kept the actual issue. And I took that in with me to my interview. And I think the editor was just alarmed, really, <laughs> that I kept this magazine for more than 15 years. Um, Lisa was the editor at the time. And I think just out of cure, kind of morbid curiosity, they gave me the job because I don't think I fit the bill uh, in any other way. <laughs> so I'm forever grateful that they gave me the job, but I was a bit of an oddball. Um, a lot of the staff who worked there were fantastic because they were properly steeped in chart pop hmm. and they were great at it. You know, they knew what was happening. They knew who Blazing Squad were. They, they, they cared about this stuff. They were genuinely excited at, at, at the music, which and I learned a lot from that, actually. I, I kind of sloped in. I'd been working on some quite, you know, um, on men's magazines like Jack. Do you remember Jack? Yeah. Which was vaguely, like, yes, it was like yeah. a short-lived men's monthly. So I found myself working in that office for a while. So everyone was too tall for school. So I'd gone in being a little bit, oh, yeah, you know, I'm really into uh, TV on the radio and Flaming Lips. And uh, everyone was just screaming and running around to busted and Justin Timberlake, <laughs> and, it, and it and it was good for me. I think I think it kind of shook me out of my um, kind of uh, taking myself too seriously, and it reminded me what was great about pop and falling in love with pop. And it was great to see that kids still wrote into the magazine in like their special glittery pens um, with stickers all over their letters of their favourite pop stars. And I was like, yeah, this is brilliant. Um, so I loved it. I had a good time. I was there for about two and a half years. Who else were you working there with? Um, the editor at the time was Lisa Smazarski, who has now gone on to, she's the editor of Stylist. Um, Hannah Verdier as well, who I know you've had on your esteemed pod. Uh, she, you know, we overlapped. Yeah. Um, and various other people who now go on and do various things, she said, <laughs> insightfully. I mean, there was some really fun. I was never at the coal phase. I think some, because I talk about Smash It's a lot. I sometimes think, oh, they, they're probably listening, going, she sat in the corner, like, grumbling <laughs> and like, checking the spelling mistakes. And that's true. That is what I did. I, I, you know, it was very much my job was office based, putting the magazine together, kind of the unglamorous end. That said, I still was the person who would check the song lyrics. So they still printed the, you know, lyrics. And I would sit there with my discman uh, <laughs> play, play, playing the promo CDs, making sure that the Black Eyed Peas did actually sing those words. Um, I occasionally found myself near pop stars yeah. uh, at the Smash It's Pole Winners Party. I found myself stood quite near Kylie, and that was exciting. Less exciting was um, I found myself trapped in Daniel Bedingfield's dressing room oh, for okay. only, only, a few, only a few seconds. I was kind of I was roving around trying to get pictures and gossip backstage, and I found myself in his dressing room with other people, but including the Bedingfield, and he started to sing um, to me kind of a cappella hmm. and so I had to escape very quickly <laughs> I just left I was so I was quite rude I wasn't rude I just didn't know what to say because again I wasn't I didn't know any of the pop stars because I, I was like this backroom person suddenly roaming around trying to you know talk to pop stars I remember I remember Lisa the editor saying 
oh, you're quite good at this because you just don't care, do you? And it wasn't that I didn't care. It was just that I didn't know what to do. I was just so cat-handed at it. And then, and then oh. Nadia, do you remember Bid, there was, Big Brother was on at the time and yeah. someone called Nadia yes. won Big Brother. And everyone thought, oh, let's get Nadia to interview Nadia. That'd be funny. It was not funny at all. It was a really boring interview. So I met her. Uh, Girls Aloud, this is not at the poll winners party. This is in the office. We invited Girls Aloud to come and switch on the Smash It's Christmas lights. <laughs> I think in their minds, it was maybe going to be a little bit of a spectacle. You know, it was going to be a nice thing. They came into an office. It was like dark outside, neon, you know, the, the harsh lights flickering in this office with grey and carpets. Our office was just next to period homes and living. Uh, we shared a printer with them and empire. So, you know, just just pale people shuffling around. You know, it's like five o'clock on a Tuesday and girls aloud shuffled in. And <laughs> Christian, who was one of the staff writers, I always remember him going, right, there you go. And he got a little tree from Argos and, and they had to just plug it in. They had to kneel down by some, um, by, uh, some metal filing cabinets and just switch the plug on. And then this little tree, which was maybe like 50 centimetres high, buzzed to life next to the printers. They weren't very happy. No, I can imagine they A little underwhelmed. Little bit, but yeah. bless them. What some of these bands had to do, you know, when they're just starting out, like McFly, I remember them coming into the office. Um, and, you know, they'd have to do a little song and dance by the mm. printers. And there'd be people from other magazines, like, politely waiting for them to finish <laughs> so they could go and get their printouts. <laughs> Bless them. And they're really, they're really young. So those are that, that's a brief... I mean, I don't have lots of Smash It's War stories, but those are my kind of... Those are the bits that stick out. Um, we were all very young, and that's another... You know, we were all in our early 20s and giddy. And looking back, it was a bit like being at a crash, really. <laughs> But I'm glad for it. I'm really glad I had those, those years there. It was great fun. How did Smash It enter your life in the first place as a kid? Do you remember how mm. old you were when you first started buying it? I don't remember specifically. So I have an older brother. He's four and a half years older than me. And I think if you have an older sibling who is, I mean, he was just knee deep in pop culture. So that made my life very easy as the younger sibling because it was just there. It was just always, always there. And as well as liking the stuff that I discovered, I would also have the benefit of having, you know, someone who was very keen on all of this, their knowledge, uh, someone who's four years older than me. So I got into a lot quite early. Mm. Um, in terms of the first issue, I can't remember. It just kind of was just appeared. He, m m he must have been buying it, I guess. And maybe I started reading it and then, got into it myself. I mean, I remember, I remember, I mean, this, the Pet Shop Boys are on the cover of the issue I've chosen. And I think it would have been to do with that because I fell in love and it was like a deep falling in love uh, with the Pet Shop Boys, like December 87 or maybe before, because we'd gone on a family holiday and my brother had bought actually on tape mm. and I got now seven so we could listen to our tapes the whole time. And then we swapped. And I remember him giving me actually to listen to. And I was like in love. Mm -hmm. um, 
So I've got a feeling that from that point on, I would go and, you know, I wanted the magazines with them on the cover. Mm. So probably around that time, I guess. Yeah. And how, how old would you would you have been around about that time? Where were you living? You know... So I grew up in Telford in the West Midlands, um, cultural hotspot. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Telford listeners. Do you know what? I think it is probably a lot better. It, I think it's really, I think it's well equipped now for, for gigs and stuff. In fact, I saw the other friend of mine said the other day, Tears for Fears are playing there next year. I was like, where? There was nowhere to play when I was growing up, but I guess now there is. Um, so I grew up in Telford. I was a very shy child. I would have been nine at this time, 1988. Uh, bookish, um, loved drawing and loved making up stories and loved music. And um, yeah, very quiet, very insular, but with an extremely rich kind of imaginative life. Hmm. Um which I think lots of us who are Smash It's readers and pop music fans in general, I think we share that trait, don't we? Because when we fall in love with bands, it's not just the music, you know, especially when you're that age. I fell in love with like whole ways of seeing the world. I mm-hmm. fell in love with how Neil Tennant and Chris Lowe talked and how they, what they liked and what they were into. And, and I was like, this is how you become an adult. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I was just this shy little brown girl with big hair, who was very shy of her hair, um, growing up in a very, you know, pleasant, uh, leafy area. But but, but I, did, I, I knew I didn't fit in. Hmm. I, I, you know, I wasn't troubled by many people that looked like me where I grew up. <laughs> so I guess I always felt a little bit like a quiet outsider. And that's another great thing that Smash It's and, and music in general gave me was a a really safe place. Um, Gav, what about you in uh, September 88? What, what what would you have been up to? September 88. Um, what was I, life like for you? Life for me, I was just in the process of moving from Solihull in the West Midlands, moving away from the West Midlands to Middlesbrough. I was going to start my first year at Teesside Poly. Mm. So, uh, yeah, 18 and a half, and on the verge of doing that, I would... It, I think this issue covers the period when I would have actually moved up there. I mean, I'd stopped buying Smash Hits a few years before, moved on to Record Mirror, and as a kind of interim, it was a gateway drug to the uh, the hard drugs of the weeklies, you know, <laughs> Smash um, Sounds and Enemy and Melody Maker. Yeah. And, I mean, really, the music I was listening to at this point, not really covered very much at all in this issue. It was still listening to The Smiths and Morrissey and The Wedding Present and The Wonder Stuff and mission and the cult and you know kind of vaguely alternative not particularly challenging but sort of guitar-y indie alternative gothy kind of mm-hmm. bands that kind of thing that was my that was my thing what about yourself say si? um well i was still very much a, a smash it's buyer at this point not necessarily uh an avid reader as we'll discover as we go through this issue <laughs> uh, but i've got my original copy here my name written in, in the top left hand corner by the uh, by the news agent, and this issue came out just before my fifteenth birthday. So this 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 issue ends the day before my fifteenth birthday. Oh. Um, and just just looking back, I did a little bit of research. What was going on at the time? Mm-hmm. And this is when Radio One went fully FM. 
Mm. And I was kind of obsessed by that. I filled acres of C90s with Radio 1 going FM with like Liz Kershaw yeah. in an evening. And, uh, and, and obviously John Peel, I'd already kind of discovered John Peel a couple of years beforehand. But yeah, so that, that was kind of like opening a new world of, of music to me. I was starting to discover bands like R.E.M., yeah. Uh getting a bit more into to the mission. You two were a big one for me mm. then, but also over the summer I discovered Led Zeppelin. Oh. Some yeah, I, I think it's a rite of passage for fourteen year old boys. Uh particularly ones who want to who want to be a, a rock god themselves. <laughs> um to you know, dis- discover Led Zeppelin. So yeah, Led Zeppelin, Iggy Pop, Bauhaus, Jimi Hendrix. Uh, they were getting a, a lot of play, as were Joy Division as well. Mm. So kind of like a, a, an odd. You're an intense mixed, young man, Mr. G. Yeah, an odd, yeah. an odd mixed bag. But in with it, you know, this, is, this issue's got Pet Shop Boys on the front. I love the Pet Shop Boys. Yeah. Well, the thing is, Simon, it's interesting because you must be the similar age to my big brother because his, you know, not everything you mentioned, but some of the bands you mentioned, you know, he was getting into the Smith. Obviously, this was the year, this is 1988. Yeah. So the Stone, Ro- the Stone Roses, we've had that NME cover where they're on top of the world. Hmm. Do, you, do you know the one I mean? Yeah, yeah. That was mass. So that is for me. That is happening simultaneously with this. It's my brother's world, but I'm in it. So I'm also looking at those enemy covers that are up on his wall, and I'm hearing the Happy Mondays. Actually, the Mondays might have been '89 a bit more. I'm not mm. sure, but certainly I remember very clearly hearing the Smiths for the first time around this time, and absolutely loving them. Not, <laughs> I would, I didn't understand any of the lyrics. I liked that he sounded how he sounded. I was like, who's this guy? You know, he <laughs> sings in such an unusual way. But more than anything, you know, the music hooked me in immediately because it's just such fabulous, mm. you know, melodic stuff. Um, so there was these, this kind of parallel universe going on. And my brother would nick my copies of Smash Hits at this point because he wouldn't want to buy it because it wouldn't look very cool. <laughs> but he would certainly nick my copies. Because your brother does a, he does a David Bowie podcast, doesn't he? Oh, we've done your research. Oh, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a David Bowie fan myself, so I've, I've listened oh, to the podcast. But right. one of the primary reasons for me buying Smash It's was just to scour it for any, any little mm-hmm. mention of Dame Dave. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's, that's, you know, that, that was my primary reason for, for still right. getting Smash Hits. As you can see, both me and my brother have completely grown out of being obsessed with pop music. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you've left that world behind. Oh, yeah, <laughs> has yeah, no yeah, bearing yeah. on your life whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> Tragic. <laughs> Um, so let's um, let's get stuck into this issue then, shall we? I think, Nadia, do you want to take us through mm. this front cover and, and tell us what we're looking at here? Oh, yeah. We're looking at Neil and Chris, Neil Tennant and Chris Lowe of the Pet Shop Boys. They are standing outdoors somewhere. Neil is in quite a bad check suit. Um, and Chris is in a very expensive-looking bit of designer sportswear <laughs> with some really fantastic sunglasses on, staring moodily into the middle distance. Um, but <laughs> the headline is, Pet Shop Boys, tiddly on pom-pom. It's Neil and Chris <laughs> by the seaside. They look really miserable. Um, so I loved that. <laughs> that was brilliant. And then we've got the big news, really. There are two other big stories on this cover. Uh, vote in the 1988 Smash It's Readers poll as featured, in inverted commas, on Radio 1. Now, that's big because this this 
Yeah, anyway, we'll talk about it later, but that's big news, I think. Hmm. And then free inside, giant double-sided poster. Um, on side two is a big poster of Kylie, but on side one is a board game, the Smash Hits Pop Caper. <laughs> and I'd been, I'd been so excited because they'd trailed the Smash Hits Pop Caper at the end of the previous issue. So I was already really excited about it. And when I saw that the Petra Boys were also on the cover, well, re- viewer, <laughs> I damn near imploded. <laughs> um, so those are the big stories on the cover. Um, there's a cursory mention of Brother Beyond, the Pasadenas, Glenn Medeiros, Bross, Nick Hayward, and of course, Level 42. <laughs> it was the 80s. Yeah. yeah. They're always there. <laughs> well, I'll just run through uh, quickly the, the songs that are in this issue of the mag. Uh, we've got Rick Astley, She Wants to Dance With Me. Natalie Cole, Jumpstart. UB40, Where Did I Go Wrong? The Commodores, Easy. Bomb the Bass, Don't Make Me Wait. Big Country, King of Emotion. Um, Aha, Touchy. Jelly Bean. Is that the one with the uh, from uh, Living in a Box singing on it? Oh, I don't know. I, th- I think it's a bit further. You missed out Matt okay. Bianco. Oh, I missed out Matt Bianco. Oh, well. <laughs> we, all, we all know about Matt Bianco. Uh, that's a song called Good Times. Yeah, Jelly Bean, Coming Back for More. Gloria Estefan and Miami Sound Machine, Anything for You. Midjour, Answers to Nothing. The Primitives, Way Behind Me. Guns and Roses, Sweet Child, Oh Mine. Um, Womack and Womack, Teardrops and The Proclaimers. I'm going to be 500 Miles. It gets better at the end, doesn't it, that list? Otherwise, it's quite a poor showing. Mm. It's, uh, well, I think, you know, if, if you listen to the, the, the playlist that Gavin uh, lovingly put together uh, for, for us all to enjoy, I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. peak 1988. Yeah, it, it screams 88 the, every term, the, pretty the, much. There's a lot of it? bad saxophone going on. Yeah. And those I'm, I'm, yeah. drums. Yeah, yeah, and, the, yeah. The, the, yeah, the biscuit tin drums. I mean, it's not, you know, not necessarily music that I would choose to listen to, but actually... I quite enjoyed that playlist. I must have been in a good mood in the other day that I was listening There was to a it. lot to enjoy. Yeah. There was a lot to enjoy. And there was a lot to go, oh, this is awful. Yeah. This has aged badly. Yeah. It certainly, yeah. certainly put you back in the uh, back in the day. That's, that's for sure. Um, so, yeah, and then obviously all the, uh, the, the features that um, Nadia's already mentioned, uh, and along with all the usual stuff. So, shall we launch ourselves into bits? Let's get on into bits. Yeah, lots going on in bits, plenty of things. <laughs> well, we've got Saffron, first of all, which I thought was quite interesting because it's only a small piece, but uh, it's about a, a three-piece pop group called Saffron. He's done a version uh, of And Then He Kissed Me. But what's interesting about it is I think it's the first time I remember seeing in Smash It's uh, mention of Bangra. So, they, yeah, like I say, they get a little mention. And also worth mentioning is one of the people in there. They, they talk about um, Rita Wolf who's from My Beautiful Laundrette, being in the band. But there's actually someone who's now much more famous who wasn't at the time. I don't know if you, either of you spotted who it was. Yeah, that Mira, Mira Sale. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Mira, Mira Sale. Do you know, um, I never really paid much attention to that little bit. And you'd think, as like an Asian girl of Pakistani <laughs> descent, I would have noticed that. But I never really paid attention. But, yeah, now I can see that's Mira Sale. Yeah, yeah. I just thought that was really, really strange that, you know, she should pop up there of all places yeah. you know i mean i had a, a little look at the video and yeah. listen to the song and it's it's kind of like a, an asian banana rama yeah very sort much of so, thing. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's a lot of fun but yeah because i mean to be honest 
this photo's a little bit too small in the magazine. You're all right because you're on your iPad. I can iPad. zoom in, yeah. You're, you're, you're zooming in. But he was only when I put the video on, I'm like, is that Mira? It can't be. It can't be. She was never in a pop band. <laughs> she sure was. There, there you go. Every day's a school day. <laughs> Absolutely. We've also got a great competition to win some uh, bross underpants. I, I don't think they're pre-worn by bross. I don't think that's what it means. It's like they're boxer shorts with the bross logo yeah. on. I was a bro- I was a bross. I was a proper bross hater. <laughs> yeah, I think because I think because I was like the target mark, you know. I think it's because oh, you're a girl, you're gonna love bras. I was like, no way, don't patronise me. They're himbos, they're himbos, and I can tell. Um, I really didn't like them. I really like the question. So to win a pair of bras pants, you had to answer this question: What did Matt Goss, a tad jokingly, we hope, once accuse Craig Logan of wearing underneath his Levi five hundred ones? Was it a horsehair long johns, <laughs> b backless perv rubber cycling shorts? <laughs> This is filthy when you think about it. Or C, bikini briefs. I'm imagining it was C, but uh, I've not checked the next issue to find the actual answer. (laughs) Also, whenever you wrote in to a competition, they changed the address. So the address for this is answers on a pair of Y fronts to the smash it's blimey, what dashing underpants you're sporting today, you rascal competition. (laughs) Good name. I think uh, this bit is also particularly uh, interesting because we've got a few people you wouldn't normally expect to see in Smash It's in there. We've got a little (laughs) interview with Julio Iglesias, what a sex god he is. Can I just say, (laughs) I just started my Spanish GCSE Ah, at this time, and uh, our Spanish teacher said, Julio Iglesias, that's July churches, that's what that means. (laughs) July churches. It should forever be July churches to me. Well, let's see what July churches has to say to us. They call him Julio Panzerhoy Iglesias, which is a great nickname. (laughs) I think because he's got a bit of a reputation as uh, being quite Lothario esque, isn't he? Yeah. Um, There's a there's a great. Do we know who did it? No, I'm just trying to. No, it doesn't say who who wrote this, but. Hello, how are you? He slavers in that lilting Spanish drawl that has housewives the globe over keeling in the streets. I am phoning from... I'm not going to do the accent. I'm phoning from Tenerife in the Canary Islands. Is it very far away from you? It is very hot. Why not you come here to make the interview? I have just been swimming. I have to do my exercise. I am 25 years old. (laughs) And then it says, ho, ho. No, he's not. He's actually about 96. Well, 44. This is just one of the extensive repartee of quips Julio uses to entice a multitude of fox tresses into his perf boudoir. Also, they're seemingly quite handy if Julio runs out of different ways to tell you that he's very, very pleased indeed, brackets very, to be having a hit again in Britain. The only thing I'm very excited about is having a hit in England now, he oozles. Really? Yes, very excited. It is very beautiful. And it goes on like that the whole time. He oozles. Oozles is a great word. I'm saying that's got to be Hibbert. Mm. <laughs> or, uh, or Sylvia, Patterson. yeah, yeah. Yes. I, it's it's got their yeah. fingerprints all over it, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's hilarious. The other bit I like on this page is uh, a little box out. Who the devil is this Mori County bloke anyway? <laughs> <laughs> Why isn't all music journalism like this? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, it's and then we find out who the devil he is with yeah. his yeke yeke tune which is oh, that, was, that was a proper tune by the that's way that's great isn't it still sounding good yeah still, sounding, still good. sounding very good not dated at all that that's good no i loved it <laughs> so one more one more older person that we've got um in here as well uh, so a bit of a blast from the past is donny donny osmond <laughs> and um without kind of going 
too much into his interview. There's a bit that really intrigued me. I don't know if either of you read this. They ask him, he says, the, the interview says, what do you do to fill in lonely hours on the road these days? And he says, ah, well, and this is 1988, bear in mind. I take my computer with me everywhere I go. You see, by using a telephone, I can tap into databases with certain codes. <laughs> and then what? Bit says, golly, what happens when you tap into these so-called databases then? And Donnie says, I retrieve information. And then Bit says, oh, how very interesting. But isn't that Italian illegal? And then he just laughs it off and goes, well, I, I try and stay away from the illegal aspect. And then he, he doesn't say any more about it. But, I mean, he's blazing a bit of an IT trail there, isn't he, Donnie, is, in 88? Yeah. That was quite It's really sinister. The whole interview actually gets a bit sinister because then they start talking about the afterlife. And, um, and then he starts talking about, Donnie Osmond starts talking about his Christian belief. And Bit says, quite have you ever thought by chance that you are completely mad? <laughs> <laughs> and Donnie's like, mad? You mean like crazy? No, never. <laughs> but the ball's on that just to say, you're mad, Donnie Osmond. <laughs> so lots going on in bits. Was there anything uh, that caught your eye, Nadia, when you were looking through it? Um, well, the bits that I've mentioned, um, definitely. But what I loved about bits was the unsurprisingly, because I'm a children's book illustrator as well as author, um, I just wanted to mention the way that the, the pages are designed and, like, the funny little illustrations that snake all over the page. They're just really random. They're like a man in a hot air balloon that says bits and, you know, <laughs> kites and planes and demented-looking <laughs> birds and astronauts, and that's just in between articles about Bon Jovi and Gloria Estefan. <laughs> It's brilliant. Just what did that do to our little brains? <laughs> did something to mine. Clearly. Clearly. So moving on uh, to the next page, and uh, it's the great Smash It's Pop caper. Yeah. Um, a little feature with Brother Beyond, or The Yond, uh, sat around Ooh. playing the game. Now, as luck would have it, my copy of the game is intact. <gasps> I have the poster. Oh. I don't have it. I, I had to I had to prise the staples open <laughs> to get oh. the poster out. This is how much I wasn't properly engaging with Smash It's at this time. Oh. That's amazing. See, my my top my copy doesn't have the poster anymore. And I've got the um well, tokens, the bands, <gasps> the, the playing pieces, the, yeah, the playing pieces yeah. that, that that are on the front. Amazing. So there's well, let's have a look there. There's one, two, three, four, five, six uh, acts that they've uh, invented for the purposes of the game. There's Swank. <laughs> Barney Blubber Chops, Demon Racket, The Chocolate Daffodils, Penelope Preen, and MC Cool Dude and the Magic Turntable Experience. <laughs> now, on, on, the, uh, on the poster They're itself... They're my new favourite band. Yeah. On the poster itself, which I'm, I'm just going to delicately unfold here, Kylie's got already got a little tear in her, just from me uh, looking at this and, and uh, having a laugh over it. So just at the bottom here, it goes into um, little profiles of each band. So I think it's quite obvious with some of these who they're meant to be. Uh, so we've got here uh, a boy band called Swank. Three lads, looking rather like bros. <laughs> exactly <laughs> like bros. Exactly like bros. Swank consists of three 19-year-old chums from Seven Oaks called Wayne, Mark and Sam. The three are absolutely inseparable and there is a spooky telepathy between them. It's weird, Wayne once revealed to smash it. But the day that Mark's goldfish Percy died, Sam's gerbil got gastric flu and wouldn't eat for two weeks. When Swank... <laughs> 
That is very much like some kind of a Bross interview, to be fair. When Swank go on tour, they take with them 450 bottles of mineral water, specially imported from the Swiss Alps, and enough pairs of socks so they can each don a fresh pair every day. Their used socks are ceremonially tossed out. I can't even say ceremonially. <laughs> Come on, Si. I can do Come it. Come on, you can do it. Yeah. Hotel bedroom windows every night to the hordes of fans gathered below. Swank, have a quirky... Gr- <laughs> quirky greeting you try saying that swank have a quirky <laughs> greeting ritual whichever one of them meets another they grab each other by the ears and yell yo man the vibe's really hot <laughs> <laughs> Under, underneath them uh, a four-piece demon racket i mean who do we think that they're representing here i'm imagining demon racket guns and roses maybe yeah roses europe bon jovi yeah def leopard sort of vibe going on um demon racket singer toby maniac is known to his many admirers <laughs> as the lucifer of lust demon racket's lead guitarist graham wildcat higgins is a bit of a computer boffin computers are quite interesting he once told smash hits <laughs> Demon Racket's bass player, Doug Stammer Pearson, has a large collection of books about butterflies. I used to catch butterflies and put them in bottles, he told Smash Hits. But then my old lady but then my old lady said, Doug, that's murder. Gee, it really made me think. They don't call Ronnie Skins Larkins the wag of Demon Racket for nothing. Pranks are my bag, he quips. <laughs> Can you imagine the, the laugh that they had? Why didn't um, they? Yeah, they must have had so I much can imagine fun. they went out to lunch, came back. <laughs> Bit of rock and roll ma- mouthwash and then... Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was brilliant. Yeah, so, so then next to, uh, next to those, those outfits, uh, we've got a couple of solo artists. Barney Blubber Chops in sort of like <laughs> a jacket and turned up black jeans... Uh, I mean, Gav, you, you were thinking... Look, well, look, there's something a bit Morrissey-esque about him, and Barney Blubberchops is, you know, a good kind of Morrissey name, isn't it, you know? Well, let's see what they're saying about Barney Blubberchops. Bar- 21-year-old Barney hails from a small town called Ossletwistle in the north of England. <laughs> and I can show you that's how it's pronounced. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Before embarking on a career in pop, he worked in a, as a fishmonger's assistant. It was a grand job, he told Smash It's. I, I, I niffed a bit when I got home. <laughs> when Barney was eight years old, he composed a song called Bayek, You Should Have Seen the Size of This Walrus We Found in Our Backyard. It Were Bigger Than a Park Bench. <laughs> he even sang it at his school prize giving. Barney recently took up hang gliding, but packed it in after three sessions. I thought it was unnatural, he revealed to Smash Hits. I mean, if God had meant us to fly, we'd have been born with those twirly things at the top of our heads like helicopters have. See, I didn't know if there was a bit of Rick Astley going on I think, yeah, because well. I think that song maybe is like a slight reference to Ruddy Big Pig, which is a song he wrote as a kid. It could well be. So, yeah, I think half mm-hmm. Morrissey, half Rick, that yeah. one. Could well be. Penelope Preen uh, is, is under there, looking sort of like a, a little Yaz-esque. Yeah, I think perhaps... I, I would say... Slightly yes, 
I, I suspect it was a male writer who lacked imagination and just went generic woman. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think she's got as much going on as the others, has well, she? I don't know. It's it's uh, very, very kind of, well, it's pretty much straight down the line, Patsy Kenzie. Where you just go, oh, is it? Where you start reading, 18-year-old Penelope decided that the life of a pop star was the one for her after spending her childhood making, making lots of TV commercials. Oh. Her catchphrase, golly mum, that was yum, is a well-known gravy <laughs> advert. And a well-known gravy advert endeared her to the nation. Okay. The lovely Penelope doesn't drink or even snog with boys. I'm just your average clean-cut funky chick, she insists. <laughs> Penelope caused a sensation last year when she chopped off her long flowing ginger hair and sold it for charity at £100 a lock then dyed what was left blonde. Penelope lives at home with her mum and her dad and her beloved puppy Pickles. He's such a neat little hound, she drools. Well, that's kind of like Debbie Gibson as well, living, a, living at home with there's, the... Uh, there's definitely yeah. a hint of Gibson about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, air, air of Gibson. Uh, and then we've got MC Cool Dude and the Magic Turntable Experience. I mean, quite clearly uh, a Run DMC Beastie Boys mm-hmm. yes. vibe going on here, but relocated to London. London at MC Cool Dude first met his chums GBH and Ed Boulder. In a ludicrously expensive tracksuit shop, tracksuit, tracksuit, tracksuit shop, MC Cool Dude remarks that the scarlet dayglow suits on display were really happening. Threads only seven hundred nicker and all. Uh, MC Cool Dude owns a remarkable collection of expensive sports cars. His favourite being a black Lamborghini convertible with gold satin upholstery. It's great. He once quipped, "It makes the chicks really go for me." <laughs> MC Cool Dude works out in an exclusive gym every day. He is rather pleased with the development of his gigantic muscles. They're great, he says. <laughs> they make the chicks really go for me. <laughs> uh, so that's them. And our final band. Now, I was a, the, the Chocolate Daffodils. I was a bit kind of, it wasn't quite sure. Hmm. I think somewhere between the Primitives and Fairground Attraction. Yeah, yeah kind of thing, like the Wedding Present. Or... Yeah. yeah, I was thinking Voice of the Beehive as oh, well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bit, oh, okay. Bit of that going on with the you know the stripy tights and a bit of a bit of a um, a rah rah skirt thing going on. Um, the chocolate daffodils singer Wilf Wilf McBreeks. <laughs> well, well, if that that's, ain't, that's if, Sylvia, isn't if it? that ain't come from the hand of Patterson, I don't know who it is. The singer Wilf McBreeks was first inspired to form a band after seeing the seminal punk rock group. The unbelievable numbskulls setting fire to their bass player on a children's TV program in 1987. Flugel maestro Jake Chalk Google was a philosophy student at St Andrews University before meeting Wilf on a save the save the triple toothed Siberian walrus rally. Wendy, Wendy. The group's triangle and kazoo virtuoso. What a name! <laughs> used to work as a as a pan salesperson before deciding that pans weren't where it's at anymore. Though <laughs> Tina Tinkle Yates doesn't do anything in the group, but she gets to hold a tambourine and look nice. Yeah, they're actually quite a C eighty six kind of band, aren't they? I, maybe, I think it know? is. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> there's definitely an element of tweeners there, but I just thought they were just amazing, just they're brilliant, fantastic. And I'm really, you know, I'm really gutted that you know, as a, as a fourteen, nearly fifteen year old, that I didn't play that game. Well, I'm gutted that I don't have mine, but I remember quite clearly taking this issue into school and um, like taking that game out of the middle, yeah, and kind of setting it up. 
hopefully, <laughs> kind of quite pathetically, sort of hoping someone might want to come and play with me. I don't remember if they did or not. They probably didn't, but I've just got such a vivid memory of being so excited by that game. That's really made me sad now, thinking of you like, waiting for someone to play I'm with trying, them. Shall we say that someone did Let's come say someone did, and let's me? give it a happy ending. Because I can't story. remember the ending, but I just clearly remember setting it up. Oh. I think you should laminate it <laughs> yeah. and uh, laminate the counters and play it, because that is amazing. Well, the game itself says, take a trip through the topsy-turvy world of pop and become the most famous, rich and famous and good-looking pop star ever. So there's um, squares that you have to go through, coins where you can kind of jump squares, and so you can go from 44 to number 19, one fell swoop. Or if you're unlucky, you'd uh, end up going down a parsnip and going back down the board. But I've just picked out a few uh, choice uh, squares just to, to, to give you a flavour of what the game is all about. It's number three. Stock Aiken and Waterman offer to write and produce a tune for you. You turn them down saying, I can invent my own tunes, thank you very much, pal. <laughs> Skip along the pile of coins. <laughs> um, pal. Pal. Uh, yeah, number, number 39. Um, all your luggage gets lost on the way from the airport to the top of the pop studio, and you end up having to wear a skirt borrowed from Sunita and a vest from Simon Climey. You look very silly. Be off with you to the end of the parsnip. <laughs> <laughs> so number 14 a photo of Nathan from Brother Beyond says your first three singles flop with barely a whimper however Nathan from Brother Beyond puts a reassuring arm around your shoulder and says never mind son we were completely hopeless once too move forward two spaces <laughs> oh man I can't see the actual game but just standing this uh, little Brother Beyond play the game feature yeah um, there's a bit where, where they mention square 46, which is a challenge. And one of them, they have to lean out of a window and scream, rock and roll ain't noise pollution, <laughs> three times it passes by. That's really ringing a bell, that sentence, rock and roll ain't noise pollution. I'm trying to remember if that's, is that a thing that they made up or did that come from like a Bon Jovi it's, interview? It's or? a song. It's it? an ACDC song. Yeah. I'm pretty is sure. it? Yeah. But that, I, I think they used to say that a lot. Mm. But I <laughs> yeah. think sometimes that would be in their questions to pop stars. Like, have you ever felt the need to lean out of a window and scream yeah. rock and roll at noise? That was obviously like an in-joke in the office. Yeah, wasn't yeah it? that so, along with Ro Rock's Lost Highway. Rock's Lost Highway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, thoroughly enjoyable that. I'll find a way of... Uh, Getting that scanned in and, and getting it out there. For, oh, definitely. For, for, for everybody to have a little look <gasps> at. Yes, yes. Get yes. it on a tea towel, Si. <laughs> Get it on a tea towel. <laughs> Don't need to ask me twice. No, exactly. <laughs> Nadia's on it. On page 23, we get to RSVP, which uh, was still going. And Nadia, was it still going when you were working there? RSVP, did it finish no, by then? No, no, it had definitely finished by then. Yeah. I think that I think the practice of putting people's full name and address. Yeah, <laughs> do you think there may be a problem with that, possibly? <laughs> I think that had died a death for some oh, okay. reason. Um, okay. I'm amazed it went on for so long, actually, but there we go. Were you ever tempted to send a letter in yourself, or did you ever write to anyone? Uh, I know, I was always really tempted. I, I mean, I would scan, I would always scan everyone and just to pick who I would write to, but I never had that. I mean, I just didn't have the guts to do anything as forward as that. Um, I never did it, no. Who would you have written it. to from uh, from this list? From this lot. Um, Anyone stand out? Now, the thing is, I was a bit of a snob, and most people liked Stock Aitman and Waterman and kind mm. of Kylie, and I sort of 
made a sport of really hating them. There's someone here who likes Suzanne Vega, Erasure and the Pet Shop Boys. She's called Helen, who lives in South Sea. But she's 15, there's a problem. Yeah, you... And I'm, not, I'm nine Yeah, that's point. a big age gap at that age, isn't it? <laughs> and yeah. I wouldn't, as snooty as I was, I, I didn't like Suzanne Vega. And I did like Suzanne Vega, and, and Helen would be exactly the person... I'd same agree, age. Same age. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, and I liked all, all those bands. Yeah, so Helen, Helen's the one for me. Helen's the one for you. Yeah. I don't know. I can't really see a match for me here. There's someone that likes uh, Pet Shop Boys, uh, but they're nine, a 19-year-old boy from Jordan. That's so, the problem. Again, you know, that's a 10-year age difference, which is uh, yeah. not great. I mean, now, not so bad. No, maybe I should sure, get in touch sure. with him now. Yeah. <laughs> Check it out. Oh, my God, maybe that... I mean, you know, I'm single and ready to mingle, so, like, maybe <laughs> I should just go through... Wow, we are the weavers. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine... Yeah. Hi there. It's worth a shot, right? But he's in Jordan. But, you know, oh. free holidays, long-distance love. All right, well, that's over before it even began. Mike's Bruce Willis, you a fan? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we could we could do the we could just mime under the boardwalk at each other, couldn't we? Yeah. We walk along the seafront. <laughs> we could do like air saxophone at each other. <laughs> Bruce Willis. <laughs> Bruce Willis. <laughs> <laughs> the only person I may have possibly written to was Gary because he—I was eighteen and a half. He was nineteen. He liked you too. Who I liked at the time: Simple Minds, Billy Idol, Def Leppard. Wasn't keen on them. The Mission and Heart. But he was from Cowden Beath, and uh, he you know, sounds good. Yeah, he sounds all right, Gary. So he would have been my choice. I, I feel a bit sorry for um, Sharon. She's 16, and uh, she's into mm. Bon Jovi, to Pow, U2, then Jericho, Status Quo, and Def Leppard. I also like Brian Adams, Gary Moore, Whitesnake, Queen, mm. Cindy Lauper, and absolutely loads more. Good well, Lord. I think she does deserve our sympathy. <laughs> <laughs> Liking that lot. She's covering all the bases. <laughs> where, does she, where does she live? Uh, she's in, uh, let's see, she's in uh, Norwich. Right. I don't know why I, don't know why I said right like that. Right, like, right. Everything. That to Pow, fat, fat fans to Pow were the only famous people from my town. Oh, really? Uh, which is okay. Telford. I, I grew up in a place called Wellington in Telford, which is famous for nothing apart from a hill and the fact that uh, uh, Philip Larkin uh, lived there for a time and famously hated it mm. and wrote about how much he hated it. And it's where to power from. Tapau also hated it and, and said so in the national press. <laughs> and there was an angry backlash against Carol Decker from the Shropshire Star. I remember that clearly. You don't want to be on the receiving end of an angry backlash from oh, the Shropshire Star, don't. do you? No, no. I'm gonna, I, well, I'm going to have one very soon <laughs> after this pod goes out. So. Yeah. There's, there's one more letter that I just want to highlight, actually, yeah. and that's Caroline, who's 11. So it's closer to your age mm-hmm. at the time there. But I don't know, this to me, it just absolutely reeks of 1988. If you like Kylie Minogue, Rick Astley, Jason Donovan and enjoy watching Bread, then I'm waiting to hear from you. I mean, just that combination <sighs> yeah. could not be any other year. No. Can you imagine how hard it was for me to be nine operating amongst these people? <laughs> you were operating on a higher plane altogether, weren't you? I was. It was very difficult for me. I was like the baby in Family Guy. Like, uh, you know... <laughs> Everyone would like Kylie, Rick Astley and Jason and Ross. Like, Absolute imbeciles. I was learning about Derek Jarman from the Pet Shop Boys, for God's sake. We skip a few more pages and we come to the personal file of Glenn Medeiros, who, uh, the, the pull-out quote here, 
I love pig wrapped in tea leaves, which is buried <laughs> nine feet underground and covered with hot rocks. It's so delicious. Um, so, uh, yeah, we'd we like to find out that that's you know, something that, that he likes. So they, they ask him, can, can you poach an egg? Uh, I can't cook at all, actually. Not at all. I can scramble eggs, but that's the only thing I can cook. I'm so bad at it that I think I could probably burn water. My mom always cooks for me. She's excellent. I help her out quite a lot, and it sure tastes ten times better if you help out. She does this dish called soya chicken, and that's very good. And then he goes off on to say about the uh, burying the pig. And uh, and eating that. <laughs> well, his big his major crime, really. I mean, apart from his music, was um, being from Hawaii. Yeah. Um, which isn't really a crime, but obviously, smash it could occasionally, and I suppose it's a sign of the times. Could occasionally be a bit a little bit like, oh, you're from somewhere weird. But yeah. to its credit, one of the questions, you know, so there's a lot of these kind of questions like. Have you ever been sick in your in a conch shell? And you know, <laughs> have you ever had cause to say aloha? So kind of tongue in cheek, Hawaii-based questions. But then one of the questions is, what do you think of Elvis's film Blue Hawaii regarding its sense of realism? <laughs> <laughs> Which is quite sweet in a way because it does give him the opportunity to actually talk about Hawaii in a you know in a considered way. I think he comes across okay, to be fair, because he's quite enthusiastic and, and he takes it all in good sport, doesn't he? But Yeah. But, yeah, you're right. I, th- I think we, we have come across this before, you know, the, the thing with Kylie being from Australia and they do use a lot of cultural stereotypes. But as you say, you know, it was a different time. It was a different time. Yeah. There was less awareness, perhaps, of um, how it may come across to the person on the receiving end. And also people were, I felt like people were further away then. Countries mm. were more mysterious. That's very we just true. had less exposure to stuff. You know, we didn't. It, I don't know that places had such mystique. I think yeah. when you were yeah. a kid, because you didn't travel. I mean, that kind of air travel being kind of affordable mm. for many families for for people to take far flung holidays that didn't happen until, or maybe that was just starting to happen. I don't know. But yeah, and communication was you know a lot more expensive and long winded, and yeah, you know, telephone calls abroad were really expensive, and letters took weeks to arrive and stuff so yeah i guess you know when they had a pop star from somewhere a bit more exotic than uh norwich then yeah i guess it was their chance to ask some of those questions wasn't it but yeah yeah, yeah. i mean there is a, a, a lot of cultural stereotyping in this yes like yes i noticed that but i did um did find this an interesting and an unusual question uh, particularly to ask, uh, let's see, Glenn Alan Medeiros, who's only uh, 18 at this point, have you ever had an out-of-body experience? <laughs> a what? Oh, I wish I had. I'd love to be able to float around without my body. I once had a ghostly experience. We live next door to this old 18th century graveyard, you see, and one night I was sleeping and I woke up and all I heard was this heavy breathing from the corner of the house. I was thinking, oh gosh, stop, 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 stop. And I was shaking my head and slapping my own face in case I was asleep. But it wouldn't stop. Eventually it stopped. But I totally freaked out. <laughs> you would, wouldn't you? Yeah. Was it his dog? Was it just his dog Presumably. in the corner of the room? It, it, it probably could have been, yeah. Poor Glenn. Let's leave Glenn in, in Hawaii with his really big pig buried underground. And we <laughs> skip forward through the issue past... A full-size page advert for Bon Jovi's new single, Bad Medicine. Past one for Bross's I Quit. And we come to 
the very exciting as trailed on the front cover vote in the 1988 smash its readers poll and it's incredibly exciting this year because readers can attend the poll winners party mm. and it's going to be on the telly and yep. it's going to be on the radio too. Radio 1 FM, Si, you'd have liked that. FM. It's yeah. on the FM. Yeah, I'll, I'll probably watch it on the telly and add it on the radio at the same time. Yeah. Love doing that kind of thing. Yeah, well, I think this is the first poll winner's party, isn't it? I believe so. Yeah, I was going to ask, but I, I, I presumed it was just the way they're trailing it and they're making it such a big event. I mean, do you remember what I remember this being on the telly? It was massive. Yes. It was amazing. I, uh, yeah, I, again, you know, it was off my radar by that point. But <laughs> if I'd have been... You know, of a younger age, if it had been, it'd been several years before, I would have been uh, absolutely in pop heaven. Yeah. Do you know? I this. bet you've, I bet you've seen clips from it though. Have you seen the clip of Salt and Pepper? Don't know. Dig it out or have a look on, have a look on, um, on YouTube. Um, Salt and Pepper do push it. Was it from this, from this one? I think it was this one. I'm pretty sure Salt and Pepper. I mean, I'm happy to be corrected. I'm pretty sure Salt and Pepper performed Push It. Yeah. At this poll winners party, and they are doing quite a provocative <laughs> and they kind of drop to the floor and start kind of grinding the stage oh. i mean it was a big thing yeah i can just remember that being a moment yeah because this was like sunday afternoon telly <laughs> exactly uh, live, yeah. live from the royal albert hall <laughs> yeah and salt yeah. and pepper yeah <laughs> grinding the salt and pepper pots well yeah. <laughs> how else are you going to get your pepper out yeah. right <laughs> i know god <laughs> I like the fact as well that there's some suggested acts to vote for uh, along mm-hmm. the, the side of the uh, the page, uh, so as well as all the usual suspects. I was delighted to see that Ruddy Big Pig gets a mention <laughs> Rick Astley's song, which, you know, we've mentioned before and uh, always makes me smile. Des O'Connor and Dame Una of Nescafe is also on there. And uh, somebody, Morrissey gets mentioned twice. I'm presuming that's a mistake, but uh, there's two Morrisseys uh, in there. Um, who would you have voted for for... Uh, well, best group, I'm presuming, Pet Shop Boys, right? I mean, yeah, I, I would have been really boring about it. So best, I mean, should I run through all of them? Yeah, well, as many or as you want to do. Will yeah. we be as many as we can? I don't know. Best group would have been Pet Shop Boys. Best male solo singer. See, I was so kind of uh, in the Pet Shop Boys zone that I would struggle with kind of anyone else. But, oh, who would I have said? I might have said, I, might, I probably would have said Michael Jackson, if I'm honest. Mm. Um, but... <laughs> Let's pretend I didn't. No, you were <laughs> around there. That, that's, that's acceptable. Well, I think I think I would have said Michael Jackson yeah. back then. Uh, Michael <laughs> Jackson, Madonna, best house rap dance music. Ooh, I would have said I would have said probably Bomb the Bass. Yeah. Um, just as they've been in Smash Hits a lot, um, or maybe the Beastie Boys. Um, then it just would have been a clean sweep for the Pet Shop Boys for various <laughs> singles and LPs and videos. Most fanciful male. See, I was nine, so I didn't really, at that point, I didn't really mm. fancy anyone. <laughs> I didn't really, you know, I, I'm not even sure if I would have understood that, what that question meant. Best dressed person would have been Chris Lowe. And then, hmm, most promising new group. I don't know, some of these would have been too hard. Worst group. Worst group is mean, but I would have put Bross just because they were everywhere. Yeah, or Swank. Yeah, all swag. And I, I would have been really nasty and I would have been, was Jason Donovan out yet? Or Rick, I would have said Rick Astley hmm. or Jason for worst male solo singer. I would have said Kylie for worst female solo singer. And I feel bad because obviously you're not allowed to dislike Kylie. And now, as I say, I'm much more relaxed and, you know, Kylie's great, etc. But at the time, I just thought she was awful. 
Well, let's uh, move on to uh, page 38 and uh, it's our Pet Shop Boys cover feature. Oh, I feel like I've spoken about them too much now. I apologise. Well, no, it's, it's absolutely fine. They were your thing. You were allowed. They were my thing. They really yeah. were my thing. Uh, so it's the year that their film came out, wasn't it? That um, it couldn't happen here. <laughs> yeah. Filmed at, at the seaside and what do you know? Here they are, going to the seaside. Uh, so, Nadia, do, do you want to just talk us through, uh, set up this feature for us? Well, it's basically the Pet Shop Boys just having a chat with Sylvia Patterson. Now, I thought, before I looked at this issue earlier today, I could have sworn it was Chris Heath. But there we go. It wasn't for a change. It was Sylvia doing it, which is probably a good thing. Um, well, always a good thing, because she's amazing. Um, but it's them just having a whist- just wittering on. They don't really witter on about any work. Um, they don't really talk about it couldn't happen here much, do they, the film? No, no, I don't think, think it gets do. mentioned, no. <laughs> they literally are just chatting about their holidays. Yeah. Like <laughs> where they used to go on holiday when they were a kid and having a wander about and how wasps keep flying into Chris's head because he's got this hair gel on that they really love and they just are whittering, slagging off. Not slagging off, but like chatting about other pop stars, like Five Star. Yeah, are they down the tumper? Just saying how they're how they're mad. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, it's just a nice chat. And they've got a Fortnum, they've got a Fortnum and Mason's picnic hamper for their lunch, and they're just. I, I, it's fa- it's fascinating, isn't it? They're on the cover, and they've got the main feature, and it's literally about their holidays. Yeah. There's it's- no mention of. And the movie's coming out, or and their latest single got to number blah blah. Like they're just having a chat. Yeah, the way they come across in this is they're just like an old married couple, just talking, reminiscing about old holidays they've been on, and it's just really funny, you know. <laughs> I think I could, I could read, I could read the Pet Shop Boys being interviewed until the cows come home. Yeah, they're just one of my. It's just one of my favourite things. It's so comforting. They are still such good value. Yeah, they're such entertaining talkers. Um, that was one of the things that attracted me to them apart from, you know, the music was amazing. And then kind of their personalities and, and their wit and their intelligence just captivated me. And um, not to sound even more tragic, it's too late. I already sound quite tragic. <laughs> I've got this memory of a friend coming around to play. Poor friend, Rebecca Jones, if you're listening, I'm so sorry. <laughs> she came around and I had a copy of the Pet Shop Boys annual. And I was like, let's play a game where like I'm Neil and you're Chris. And we take it in turns to read out this interview. She didn't even like the Pet Shop Boys. <laughs> anyway, she never came around no, again. I was going to say, did she ever return? Nadia uh, mysteriously <laughs> remained friendless for several years. Let's play both parts yourself. Let's play role, Pet Aww. Shop Boys role play. But, you know, it's their fault for just being chatty and funny and interesting. And um, they were like, I don't know, Smash It's was like their... They had a very close relationship, hmm. which, which made Smash It's you know essential, an essential purchase every fortnight if you were a Pet Shop Boys fan. Yeah, I mean there is something. You, you look at the, the the photo of them on on the cover and the other photos of them in in the magazine and just their general kind of their appearance and how they presented themselves in general. <laughs> and it's, it's quite straight faced, quite serious. Chris just absolutely deadpan. Mm. You know, there's that flight of the Concords uh, in, in a city pressure where the, 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 the Chris a, character is, is just sort of fading into the background <laughs> and things. Yeah. Which, which is kind of how we all thought of them. But when you read the interviews, it's like you're meeting two completely different people mm. from what, from what you see in the photos. It is very funny. And also the photos, they just look, 
like you say, they look so miserable. Yeah. <laughs> and Neil's suit is ridiculous. But I think once you realise <laughs> that they are very funny, you can see that actually they're playing a game yeah. with, uh, with their image. You know, okay, let's look really serious in this one. They're probably stifling laughs or something like that. But they were kind of playing this pop star image thing. And, you know, this, this is how we're going to present ourselves when you look at us. But, you know, if you actually meet us, you're going to get something completely different. I think that's, that's, that's what I love. Well, the, the other thing that I really love about it, and, I, you know, this is a testament to Smash It's, and it's a testament to them. They're always on our side. I never read this and thought they would be scornful of me mm. um that they, they, they clearly love what they're doing and i think it it, it comes across they don't they, they, they don't have to be they don't they never patronize their audience i didn't feel patronized as a nine-year-old by these two men who were in their 30s at the time <laughs> whereas you know bros were forever we love our fans our fans are amazing mm. we love you we love you and it's just like shut up stop talking to us like we're labradors whereas <laughs> the pet shop boys would just witter on and take the piss out of each other but they would never i always i always felt like they were on my side and smash it's we did at that, at that as well mm. at being on the side of the reader it's as a children's book author is something i'm really mindful of it's a very subtle thing it's just it's just not patronizing your reader and just being on the same level as them and, and i think that happens here really you don't really notice it do you but I think it's the thing that weaves its way through the, the issue. Yeah, and I think, again, Sylvia's writing, she's really good at just kind of dropping you in as something's happening and then just setting the scene. She, she's always really, really good at that. Uh, I mean, just mm. the first few lines here. The Pet Shop Boys are standing on the seafront of the British coastal resort of Canvey Island. Neil Tennant is wearing a fancy check suit with a funny tie and a rolled-up umbrella, and he looks not unlike someone you would call Squire. Chris Lowe is wearing a cosy jersey with leather bits on the front and a flecked fawn bonnet, not unlike the one my dad wears for a spot of seasonal <laughs> trout fishing. <laughs> together, they look, together they look not unlike a couple of mad old uncles out for a leisurely Sunday seaside stroll and a cup of strong tetleys at Mrs Plumple's, was it Mrs Plumple's Tea by the Sea Emporium or something. <laughs> But they are not mad old uncles, of course. <laughs> they are the universally renowned pop persons and as such have chosen this sun-kissed setting as the place to have their photograph taken for the cover of The Hit. <laughs> Much better than a stuffy old photographer's studio, observes Chris. It's very nice here, isn't it? Even though it looks like a car park. <laughs> <laughs> he is not Ron. Yeah. I mean, again, the typical Pet Shop Boys, they've chosen an out-of-season out of seaside town to go and have the photos taken. Non more pet shop boys yeah. than that is it? And the photos I've just seen the photos are taken by Eric Watson, who is their frequent collaborator. Yes, mm. yeah, they're really nice photos, aren't they? They they're great. They could be on singles covers or something, couldn't they? You know, they yeah, they could. I mean, you can tell. You know, it's so them like the typography. They're mm. in front of some signage that obviously says Canvey Island, and mm. just the way that Chris's head is in between the N and the V, very deliberately, and yeah. the graffiti. Underneath that, that's so Pet Shop Boys. It kind of reminds me of the cover of the It's a Sin single, which is a still from the video. But again, that's by Eric Watson. And it's they're always superimposed on some kind of backdrop of urban decay. Yeah. Um, but, you know, very, very thoughtfully done at the same time. Yeah, because they swap places on the photos. And there's a photo of Neil to the front and his head right in the middle. 
of the canvey Chris sat in the background. And that's where I think you get a real juxtaposition of like, because you can see then Neil in his full suit and he's kind of almost rocking like a 1930s mm. kind of look. Uh, and so against that that graffiti and against what Chris is wearing as well, you, you get this real hard contrast. It's brilliant. Be- it's like Bertha Wooster. Be- yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so this hard contrast between them and also hard contrast between where Neil is uh, and, the, and the backdrop. And I do think I really appreciate the money that they must have spent doing this feature. This stuff does matter. You know, it's so easy especially I worked, you know, I worked kind of in the magazine industry as it was on the decline, slow decline for years and years. And so budgets were squeezed and there was more and more reliance on stock photography or whatever. And you kind of look at, you just think about what this would have taken, you know, shipping everyone out to Canby Island and getting Eric Watson in. I did appreciate, you know, you, you can, you can, it's what's, what am I trying to say? It's worth it. Hmm. It matters. It's the details, isn't it? You appreciated it as a, 10-year-old in Telford or a 15-year-old in Sheffield or whatever, subtly on some level you are taking all of this in. And I always think sometimes with kids' books that comes up quite a lot. It's like just because this is for kids or for young people, it doesn't mean that it needs to be crap. Hmm. <laughs> it can still, it should be designed well. It should be well-written. St- they are a deserving audience. That is how you develop taste and kind of standards, and that's how you – push yourself and I you know I, I look at this and I do think wow it was smash it was such a big influence on me in terms of what I make and and, and kind of the visuals of stuff mm. I'm getting very highfalutin about these things sorry no, just, I'm quite passionate we, about we it. like to go in whatever these, way it goes it's, it's good. <laughs> just looking at these photos and just thinking how well thought out this whole thing is yeah but I guess brilliant humor is a big part of it as well certainly in this piece and yeah it's something that runs through the mag and and I know you appeared on the rule of three podcast talking about the humor of smash it but why why was that important to to you and what you know how did you recognize that at the time and how have you kind of absorbed that in in what you do well I just think the language was immediately funny and it again it wasn't patronizing it was um really easy to adopt i i adopted it with my my brother and my cousins we used to write to each other in smash it's language <laughs> it was a way of it didn't hurt anyone it was just kind of a it was just kind of a bit knowing and a bit and silly hmm. um it was just a it's a sweet spot between kind of it's a secret language that the grown-ups don't know about hmm. that's attractive at the same time you're not saying any rude words so you don't get into any trouble and it's very silly and giddy, and it juxtaposes the silly with highfalutin things, yeah. you know, or, or kind of big ideas. I mean, in this article, it's just so brilliantly written, but there's a whole, there's a couple of paragraphs where Chris Lowe's just railed against uh, Blackpool Council <laughs> <laughs> about, about council funding. And that's in between just all these silly jokes about Club 18 to 30 holidays. So, yeah, I don't know. The language just... It was about a way of writing and a way of speaking. And I certainly have carried that over into my work. Um, I've ripped off, unknowingly, <laughs> massively ripped off, kind of smashed its language and then gone back and realised I've ripped it off. So I did a picture book called The Bumblebear and there's a um, a line in that where a load of bumblebees say, what the jiggins? <laughs> and I just, I remember my editor going, where's that from? I was like, I don't know, it's just from my brain. I don't know where it's from. 
And then I was looking through Smash Hits, uh, an old issue of Smash Hits, as I do, of an evening. And there was a feature that said, what the jiggins is Morrissey up to now? <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh no, that's, that's where I got it from. <laughs> no, I think it did, though. It really influenced the whole generation of, of kids. Well, you can tell from the letters page in this issue, ev- all the kids are using that yes. Argo, you know. It's oh, like... yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why, what do you think? Because I, I don't know, I've not really chatted. I mean, why do you think it was so infectious and so funny? It's hard to explain why something's funny, isn't it? It is. I, I don't know. I think, like you say, it's almost like a, it's, a, it's kind of a secret language. It's very easy to to replicate. You know, you just put a few silly words in and a few quotes and a few kind of highfalutin things. And it, so I think the ease of it and, and yeah, just the silliness, because as a kid, you love adults being silly, don't you? And, you know, when you when you used to see things on telly like Morecambe and Wise or whatever, you know, that was always really appealing. And it's the same in printed language. Mm. So if you get a chance to copy that yourself in quite an authentic way, I think it's quite quite a heady thing as a kid yeah. to some, to realise you've got that power within yourself to be able to replicate this stuff and make yourself giggle and yeah. your friends giggle. Mm. There's certainly, I used to read, my mum and my brother were big PG Woodhouse fans. Mm. And, um, and I became one as well. Uh, and, and I found that really funny. And there's definitely, you can definitely kind of, there's some crossover. Yes. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a, the last line of this feature is just perfect. To Beatrice Billows Chris, who's obviously gone severely fleepers. Now, I've used gone severely fleepers a lot. <laughs> and fleepers, it's just brilliant. Shall we get the cans in for the journey back? And that's how it ends. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's pretty much that this this piece is pretty much the, the perfect smash its feature. Yeah, and the highlight oh. of the issue without a doubt. Yeah, definitely. I agree. <laughs> One thing I, I really enjoyed was the bit where Chris becomes a bit um, Alan Partridge and he's going on about Blackpool. <laughs> this is really funny. I love this because it's talking about all these holidays and then he, he gets talking about Blackpool, obviously his hometown, and he says, "Actually, while we're on the subject of Blackpool, I've got a bit of a niggling point. The council, in their wisdom, have decided to close down Derby Baths." <laughs> Now, this might sound like a minor point, but it's an international pool which was incredibly popular in the summer and they've got these big tubes and they're really fast. Ace! And it's a brilliant building, but now it's shut because it's losing like 2p a year. I'm sorry, but I'm absolutely furious with them. I think we should make a charity record to have it reopen, blubs, Neil. We should do, agrees Chris. And it's only because Blackpool is one of those councils that doesn't think it has to pay for anything despite the fact that Blackpool's rich. Of course, it is Tory, convinced Neil, his eyebrows <laughs> wobbling around his forehead. Just thought I'd mention that. And it's just so funny. <laughs> I it's love so that. He gets funny. really irate about this swimming pool and then <laughs> Neil is so deadpan and <laughs> arch about it all. It's great. Yeah, just chipping in, just yeah. chipping in was- waspishly. Yes. Well, it is Tory. <laughs> <laughs> With a raised eyebrow. So, yeah, fantastic piece. I love that. Thank you for... Uh, Choosing this issue just for that, that was, that was lovely to look at again. Not at all. So uh, on page 55, underneath Jelly Bean featuring Richard Derbyshire, uh, coming back for more, this was quite intriguing. It's a half-page advert for something proposing to be the real addresses to the stars. You can get the TV Soap Stars book, the World Sports Stars, the International Stars and the all-British stars, which um, promises film and TV stars, DJs, wow. presenters, entertainers, models, stuntmen, 
and groups. I mean, everyone, all the kids want to write to the stuntmen, right? That's what you want. Yeah. <laughs> Every 12-year-old wants to write to a stuntman. Um, I just thought it was really kind of intriguing. I mean, presumably it's just the addresses of the agents. I mean, surely they're not giving out, you know, Yaz's uh, flat number and, yeah. <laughs> you know, what address she lives in. But I just wondered how many poor kids, you know, wasted a couple of weeks' pocket money thinking they were going to get the home address of, uh, you know, Rick Astley or uh, Brother Beyond and... Uh, They'll have just got some uh, PO box in London for the uh, for the agent. Quite a few, quite yeah, a few. I many, imagine. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I can honestly say I've received 28 signed photos. Your book is first class. Um, but I guess it's you know it's, it's sort of like well you just follow somebody's Instagram account now to get this kind of thing, wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, I know. remember. Um, I didn't do this, but I remember someone. It wasn't me. I think my cousin had this book that I was intrigued by. And it was around this time, and it was the how to get free stuff. Oh, I remember And it was that. just addresses, like, write to, I don't know, yeah. write to KP Nuts and you'll get a packet of peanuts. Or, like, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it was all sorts of nonsense. <laughs> um, I thought it was brilliant. It's like, wow. Free shit. <laughs> yeah. I don't care what it is. Or, like, an autograph or that, that kind of thing. But, yeah, a bit strange. Okay, the Pasadena train is riding on into the station oh. on the next page. We've got two oh. pages of the Pasadenas. Uh, Tom Doyle joins the band doing a promotional tour in West Berlin where they play a Name That Tune game with a DJ who uh, Tom Doyle nicknames Hair Goth. <laughs> <laughs> and then they go out to an Indonesian restaurant. And there is a lot of food in this, uh, in this piece. Uh, the lads are ever so slightly peckish, and so even after ignoring the warnings of the waiter, Andrew and David order three main courses each. What ensues is really quite shocking. Plate after plate of posh grub is brought over to the table and the Pasadenas begin to stuff themselves rotten. Hey, this is really great food, munches Dave. Mm. No, it ain't. It's horrible, argues Michael. Bits of chewed noodle. That's a horrible phrase, isn't it? Chewed Chewed noodle. Chewed noodle. (laughs) Flying from his mouth. This palaver carries on for over an hour until everyone's stuffed rigid. And that table is just a mountain of cold oriental tuck with whole plates left untouched. Spur you. Then the yawning begins and everyone decides to head back to the hotel and tumble kipwoods for plenty of Zs. <laughs> Poor Tom Doyle. I don't think he had a nice time no, on this No, it doesn't sound great, does it, going to a, a Chinese restaurant in Berlin? It doesn't sound great. It doesn't sound like the Pasadenas are very interesting. No, there's, there's more about the food than there is about the Pasadenas. Yeah, I think he's not had a lot to work with here. <laughs> no. He's a great writer, so, you know. Yeah. Then they go on to mime on a TV show called Mambo, and then they go to a steakhouse <laughs> for some quite enormous steaks. So again, back to the food. Back and to the food. There's not a lot oh, else in it, to be honest. I mean, I don't know if either of you two saw anything else of, worthy of comment, particularly. No, I think I think uh, it, it makes it sound action-packed, but I think a lot of that is food-related. I think he's working very hard with not a lot. Yeah, there must have been a lot of that polishing turds. Yes. Um, to make something usable. He's, he's done well. He's yeah. done well. He's time. probably sat on the plane come, coming back thinking, oh, oh God, oh, well, I'm going to write. I'm just going to have to write about the uh, Chinese restaurant. Yeah, I hope my photos have come out all right. <laughs> <laughs> we skim on a few pages and alight at page 64, a feature about Bross, around the world in 46 and a half days. I, um, I would have defaced that poster in a heartbeat. <laughs> How would you have defaced them? What would you have done to uh, Matt, Luke and Craig there? Old glasses, tashes, devil horns. 
um, tears coming out of their eyes. Um, yeah, just in fact, there was a competition to deface this bros poster in Smash Hits, I think, <laughs> which I think I probably took part in. But it was the, I've got a feeling it was this actual picture that we're looking at, and it was yeah, do your do your worst, and we'll print the winners. Um, which was a really satisfying moment for me as a bros hater. Well, the feature is called Around the World in 46 and a Half Days. Bros have been on a, well, kind of a world tour. They've been to Japan, where they, uh, where they, they liked it there, um, and then moved on to Hawaii for a little holiday where they didn't like it, and then uh, off to uh, the USA, which they also didn't like. Um, <laughs> so it says, first stop is the land of the so-called rising sun where bros were due to appear on several million TV shows. Don't be worried if the Japanese fans don't react much, a bros aide told them. It's just that they're a very reserved people. Wrong. Japanese fans appear to go completely bonkers about the group. <laughs> Everywhere they went, they were met by squealing crowds and their LP and single jumped straight to the top of the Japanese foreign charts as soon as they stepped on their shores. We did this one show, remembers Craig, and there were like hundreds of fans outside screaming and banging against the windows. They even broke down this barrier they were supposed to be standing behind. It was unreal, not reserved at all. The funny thing is, they come up to you and they just want to touch you. They touch you and they break down and cry right in, right in front of you. <laughs> when we first arrived, there were all these people crying. It was like, who's died? We were really freaked out about it. <laughs> I think not. doesn't take a lot to freak out the Bross boys, does it? Well, it doesn't. I mean, Craig, I think, is, is a little more kind of unshakable. Yes. But I think, yeah, if, if it had been getting Matt or Luke to talk about that, he'd have been uh, getting some pretty wild and vaguely psychedelic yeah. responses. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, I feel bad being so mean about them, but I was only nine. But then they were quite young as well, weren't they? Yes. They were. And they were massively famous very quickly. Mm. I shouldn't be making excuses for pop stars, but I feel a bit retrospectively guilty for drawing beards and devil horns on them. I know, you've, you've inspired me, actually. <laughs> <laughs> we can do a giddy carousel of pop competition, can we? Can yes. We get the listeners to, uh, yeah. to deface a bros poster yeah. and take photos of it. There we are. Oh, All right. oh yeah. please, please, that would make me so happy. <laughs> Nadia, you can be the judge. There we are. Yeah. All right, OK, there we're we doing are. it. Sorted. Come on. <laughs> this, this, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Look out for it, pop kids. <laughs> um... They don't have a very good time in Hawaii where they're supposed to be going on holiday, so much so that Luke and Craig go home because yeah, they're still only 19 and can't get into half the places that they want to go. There's only one nightclub. Yeah, and then they work their butts off in the USA and don't feel like they're getting very far. Who, who is it saying this? This is Matt. He says, all I want to do is go home and give Mom a hug and have a cup of tea. I've been missing my family in England so much. All I want to do is hear an English accent and have a cup of tea, pipes Luke. Yeah, I miss the English accent. I just miss England, mourns Craig. And I, and I miss all the English magazines like Smash It's because everybody knows you there. It's like a real family. Aww. Here it's like, what's the name of your group again? Gulp. Welcome home, pop chunks. <laughs> And you know what? That's one of the rare times you see Smash It's actually being quite affectionate towards mm. Bross. Because I feel like a lot of the time they, they were in every issue because they had to be. But you wouldn't get much warmth from the. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe that's just me reading it with my kind of anti-boss glasses on. But it wasn't like the conversation with the Pet Shop Boys was kind of really fami familiar mm. and chatty. With Bross, it was always like you were watching some exotic animal behind the glass, like just watching them be that's famous. Exactly it. Yeah. 
um, there's a subtle difference with their features. Yeah, they, they would set Bross up, wouldn't they, and kind of mm. make them talk about something and then just wants to make themselves look a bit ridiculous and silly and strange. Doesn't and, take much. I know, you know, and just observe it unfolding, which you didn't, like you say, you didn't get with bands like Pet Shop Boys and so on. Um, <laughs> I think you feel a bit sorry for them in the end, don't you? I, I could see you warming a little bit to them there, now. Oh, I do feel sorry for them because they're just boys, aren't they? Yeah. Away from home. Only, only young. Only young. Only young lads. <laughs> also, the songs weren't that good. I'm sorry. They sounded terrible. <laughs> I, well, do you know what? I Yeah, I used to hate them, but listening to I Quit, I just... I, I couldn't say I liked it, but I think it's a really odd kind of pop record, just full of gurgles and noises, and it's almost quite avant-garde. <laughs> you know, it's like... The more I listen to Bross at a, kind of like a 30-year remove, mm. which isn't very much, yeah, but it's only, it's only when they're on the playlist for the podcast, <laughs> the more I think it is just kind of some avant-garde pop art experiment. Yeah. <laughs> because they are... They are kind of like uh, elements that you wouldn't put together. No. That are just kind of being, being, being mashed together. Do you remember, I think around this time, I got one of those Yamaha keyboards that had 100 voices. Oh, yes. And so you'd type in a different number and then you'd play a few keys and it'd be dog barking, yeah. whale, uh, marimba. And a lot of Bross songs sound like that. <laughs> that someone's just... Just got one of those keyboards and is trying out all the different effects. They've got like a bingo thing and they pick a number and they go, oh, 74, what's that? Do you know what I mean? They're just kind of thin and random and just like, it's like, what's going on? I know, it's just random parping and grunting and, but yeah, I quite. It's hard. Maybe liking them is is too strong, but I I find them kind of. Come on, let's let's do a U turn. Let's get into Bronx. Quite intriguing though. I, I I find those. Those songs that I've heard through the playlist, yeah. there is something quite intriguing about them because yeah. they, they don't sound like anything else. That's the thing. A lot of the Stock Aiken and Walkman stuff, it sounds very generic, doesn't it? Yeah. But Bross, they sound like elements of different things, yeah. but put together in a really weird way. Yeah. You know? it's, it's, it's come kind of... on then, let's get let's get into them. Let's just get massively yeah. into Bross. <laughs> I mean, come on, I'm, I'm just going to say it now. This is it's kind of, they're kind of like Captain Beefheart, really. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this, 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 this is where we're coming from here. The mission to get Bross, like a special feature on Six Music, like a documentary. I'm going to pitch it now. <laughs> yeah, do it. Do it. Experimental pioneers. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because it has that, you know, the, 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 the surface is pop, but I think there's, uh, yeah, whatever's going on underneath that surface. I don't think, yeah, they may not even know what's going on underneath, but there's something no. happening. They don't. They don't. They're like a bunch of Labradors that have been put in a speeding car. <laughs> yeah. They don't know what's happening, do they? They're going to enjoy the ride. <laughs> That is our genius. <laughs> That's a be- Thank you for that image, Nadia. That's a perfect image. I will always think of Bross like that from now on. What's going on? I'm going to give little baby Labradors like Bross haircuts. <laughs> That's where they get the noise from. <laughs> yeah. We've got the head out the window. Yeah. Tongue hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> bless him. Oh, God bless Bross, I say. <laughs> Okay, from Bross to the letters page. Uh, Only one page, and uh, as I mentioned before, all the readers very, very influenced by the Smash It's lingo of the day. There's some... I mean, it's even more unhinged than usual. I'd say that probably my favourite letter is from the Bross fan. Um, I'll just just read a bit of this. This is... uh, 
says, I consider myself to be a 100% Bros fan, but while lying here in my hospital bed, I got to pontificating and set myself some questions. Number one, for a glimpse of Luke's little toe, would I be willing to patiently sit for three centuries listening to Dennis Thatcher explaining the mechanical workings of a carrot? <laughs> Number two, for a chance to breathe in the germs that explode from Matt's nose when he sneezes, would I be willing to hang upside down in a vat of Kylie Minogue's hair grease? Number three, for a chance for a glimpse of Craig's spot stick, would I be willing to peel Jimmy Somerville's head with a blunt knife? <laughs> Strange image. And have a Shirley Temple tape on full blast while I sat with a ferret on my head. If any Bros fan out there hesitates before screaming, yes, then may they sew up their ripped jeans, remove their Rebel Without a Cause belt and extract the caped Crusader's cowl. Yours, Lady Petula Snodgrass Dublin. And that's very typical of the, uh, the letters in the... On the letters page in this issue, really. I've, I've almost got a feeling that they were all written by Tom Hibbert. They could well have been. He'd had a bottle of wine at lunch. <laughs> and I think, I've got a feeling he's written the entire page, letters and answers. <laughs> That's my guess. Some kind of meta joke on something. Mm. But yeah. yeah. It's the, the letter in the third column that caught my attention. Dear Pitch Black Type, as I was reading my smash hits recently, I came upon your letters page, as I do every fortnight, which was when I noticed that you, Black Type, seems to prefer letters which have very little to do with the pop world. <laughs> I read one letter which gave a reasonable criticism of smash hits. Then I read on to see what was in the letter that had been given your prestigious token and towel. To my surprise, it was not given a point of view or commenting on your magazine. In fact, it had nothing to do with music or music magazines. So I decided that before I finished reading my copy, I would dig out some of my back issues of your illustrious journal. I was disappointed to find that almost every fortnight a useless letter received your token and towel. Why is this? Why are people who write truthful letters putting over a point never given a token and towel? Surely, oh. black type, you should rectify this immediately. Samantha mm. Hodgkinson Cheshire. That's how serious she is. Yeah. She's given her own name. Wow. Fair enough. She ain't happy. And she still doesn't get the token. So there we go. <laughs> That's it. So, Nadia, did you ever get a tea towel? I didn't get a tea towel, but what I did get um, a few years later was utterly demented while I was pregnant and <laughs> overcome with the desire to make my very own black type tea towel. Um, you know, some women get a kind of nesting instinct when they're pregnant where they want to organise the sock drawer. Ah, mine was very specific. Mine was, no, I must go to my Smash It's Back issues and recreate um, an item of memorabilia that I never owned. I still don't really know what, what took over, but anyway. <laughs> so, I, I, so I did it. I found a picture in the back issue of the tea towel. I took it into uh, my computer and kind of uh, zoomed in and kind of, made, you know, resized it. And obviously it wasn't print quality. So I found, painstakingly found the closest font uh, to the font they've used and retyped out all the words. And I traced over the illustrations. Um, so it was as close to the original as I could get. And then I did drop a, a line to Mark Ellen, actually, who, who I didn't know. I can't remember how I got his email, possibly through the word, mm. or maybe I begged someone for it, or I don't know. But I just kind of ran it by him and just went, I'm not looking to make a profit from this or kind of make any money, but I've made these and some people would like it. This was when Twitter was just, I, I, I was just joined Twitter not long before. And I was like, oh, you know, I really wanted one. I might get a few printed. I reckon some people would like it. Do you mind? And he went, no, 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 not at all. 
So I did. Uh, in the end, I ended up selling them for a loss because I'd forgotten to, I, you know, I'm not good at this kind of making stuff and selling it online. And I forgot to factor in like VAT and postage and all the rest of it. But it was fine. I was like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'll, I'll make most of the money back. Um, and, and I made these black light tea towels and sent them out to quite a few people. I don't suppose you have any left, do you? That was insane. <laughs> um, None left? I've got two, I think. Dig it. I'll, I'll have a dig around upstairs and have a look. I don't have many left. Um, I've got a couple. Somewhere I think I've still got the PDF that I oh. made <laughs> of the tea towel, so I could get more printed. Mm. Um, if In fact, I did do, after the awful uh, Manchester bombing, um, I did do another run. And again, with Mark Ellen's blessing, we sold a few in aid of Manchester Children's Hospital. So I've done it twice now. Um, who knows if there will be a third time? Well, you, you, know, you know who to contact if you have any more. Yeah. Oh, I'd, absolutely. I'd yeah. Well, I, 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 what I really love would be the Smash It T-shirts. I remember they had a T-shirt with like a, a cartoon of a bee and a dog. I wanted that so badly, but I don't think that exists anymore. I just wanted to quickly mention, uh, there's a, a great question about Madonna on Get Smart. It says, Dearest Get Smart, where the gherkins has Madonna gone? <laughs> and where I, the gherkins? <laughs> which I like very much. And they talk about Evita, uh, that she'd, she was considering a lead role uh, and then decided not to take it after meeting the director, uh, who turned out to be a negative vibe. Oh. And I was looking into this. Apparently it was Oliver Stone was originally going right. to be the... So she dropped out and then it, it kind of changed and then it was was Alan Parker in the end who did it. Yes. And then she came back on board. Who she loved, I think. Yeah. Se several years later. but Because uh, this was a long time before the film, wasn't it? Yeah, a good few years. Um, I'm, I'm shocked that they don't call her Madge here. Yeah. Maybe they had... I wonder if they had been asked to stop calling her that. Well, they call her Lord Madonna of Ciccone instead, don't they? <laughs> Mm. Yeah, which is, I, yeah, which I don't remember them calling about. No, I think that's oh, a one-off. There's a rare sighting of the Lord Madonna epithet. Yeah. <laughs> and you get the full discography of uh, Iron Maiden there. Yeah, of course you do. Well, <laughs> I wanted that, so I'm delighted. <laughs> so we're on to the singles, which is always a fun read. And these are reviewed by Josephine Collins, who I tried to find any mention of her online as a, as a journalist. Couldn't find anything about her. I don't remember seeing her crop up before Me or neither. since. But uh, anyway, here she is in her Virgin uh, record label baseball cap uh, reviewing the singles. She chooses what I'd have to say is quite a left field choice as a single of the fortnight. It's Birthday by the Sugar Cubes, but it's not the original version. Uh, it's the kind of remix that came out a little bit later that was done with uh, the Reed brothers from Jesus and Mary chain with kind of shimmering guitars of sepulchral majesty all over it. Yeah. So, yeah, as a, as a choice for single of the week, it's very much unlike pretty much everything else that's in the magazine. Yeah. Um, obviously, Pet Shop Boys get a good review. Uh, Domino Dancing was the single that was out for this issue. Uh, Rick Astley's She Wants to Dance With Me, I Don't Want Your Love by Duran Duran, and Banana Armas Love, Truth and Honesty all get positive reviews. I mean, pretty much everything gets a fairly positive spin. There's only... A little bit of negativity in a few reviews. Sabrina's Miracles, Five Stars, There's a Brand New World, and John by Desireless have slightly less enthusiastic summaries. But otherwise, she kind of likes everything, really, doesn't she? Yeah, she's mm. very positive. Yeah. I mean, how, how does Domino Dancing rate for you as a Pet Shop Boys fan? I mean, for me, it's one of their best tunes. Are you a fan? You no, know, funnily, funnily enough, at the time, it was not my favourite, and I remember being a little bit... Oh, they're releasing this one. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, obviously, I'm like, well, it's amazing. Hmm. 
But I just remember at the time, I don't know why, I had like a whiff of disappointment about it. Uh, I don't understand. It, it's just how it was at the time. I'll tell you a big thing that put me off. It was that the video was kind of young, hunky men wrestling in the sea. And because I was kind of not interested in that, uh, I was like, well, where are Neil and Chris? I want to see them mm. standing around. And that matters when you're a kid. Uh, it really mattered that I couldn't see them and that it was just these kind of, I don't know, obviously it's very homoerotic <laughs> video <laughs> now looking back. But at the time I was like, oh, this is boring. Um, but I think it's fantastic. It's really, gro- it's really grown on me. And when they, they play it live, it's thrilling. Mm. Um, and, and some songs just kind of get reinvented when you see them play live. And that's one of them. Um, so I absolutely love it now. Just going back to the video a second, I watched the DVD, you know, the pop art DVD with the commentary today, just to see what they were saying about it. And in the video, if you remember, Chris is like a DJ in a club. Yeah. He's got sunglasses on and a backwards baseball cap. And he says, this is where I invented Norman Cook. (laughs) 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 That's a great line. (laughs) God, I haven't heard that. I have to go out and get that immediately. I got, yeah, got it from a charity shop a few years ago. And there's all the videos have a like, you know, you can put the audio commentary on and listen to them (gasps) reminiscing about it. Yeah, you'd love it. It's great. I will have to do that. So, which uh, which singles in here would you have been wanting to buy, or is there any particular reviews that you enjoyed? Well, I think Sugar Cubes and Pet Shop Boys are the, the you know, immediate standouts. Mm. Um, but I would have been spending my pocket money on Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin at that time. So, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> they wouldn't have got a lot looking. I'd have taped them off Top of the Pops. Yeah, I used I used to record the stuff that I liked off Top of the Pops on a, on a VHS tape. Oh yeah, I did too. They had reams of videos called Imaginatively. Pop music one, pop music two, and then sometimes pop music three. Yeah. And it would be clips from Top of the Pops, the chart show. Do you remember the rock and roll years? Yes. yes. The tape, so many bits off the rock and roll years. It's like, here is Frankie Goes to Hollywood, and here's some footage of the Challenger exploding. Yeah. It's very strange. Yeah, but it was it was your chance to see those things again, wasn't it? You know, before, yeah. before YouTube and all that, where, you know, now you can see anything anytime you want, but yeah. uh, it was a rare opportunity, so you had well, to take it, didn't you? I've still mm. got dozens and dozens of VHS tapes. Uh, music on TV, I called mine. Yeah. And I'd, I'd write, write down the date that I started it, and then when the tape was filled, I'd write down the date that it ended, and then I'd start, oh, start a fresh tape. Good system. Yeah. I, I loved that, and it was, yeah, it was a really important part of my musical knowledge and you know i had a couple of members of my family who used to do that and so we'd get shipped off and we'd just watch those videos over (laughs) and over again well there we are we've reached the end of this wow issue of smashes so thank you very much for for choosing this for us i mean looking looking back at it now Mm. i mean what, what are your thoughts my thoughts are, this is an interesting time. I feel like it was just before, a few issues before things went a bit too Stock Aitken and Waterman-y for me. Um, I always used to say, you know, I just needed to see a couple of bands or names I liked on the cover and it would keep me buying. So, you know, the Pet Shop Boys or Erasure or, you know, maybe Eurythmics or, or something like that. And I'd go, brilliant, I can still buy it. There's still something here for me. But at, but at some point it kind of tipped over and it was all kind of Jason and Rick Astley and Sunita. And I was like, oh, I don't really, I can't really connect with this anymore. And I think that's when I started to migrate to other magazines. Mm. Um, 
But what I like about this issue is I think it captures the kind of sweet spot before that happens. And it's just the perfect blend of kind of people I'm really interested in, people I'm not interested in at all, but I still enjoy reading about because they're written about in that kind of smash it style, which uh, meant that I was interested in kind of whoever they were writing about, really, because uh, I, w- I still wanted to be part of that world. That's what I, that's my takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> so how long did you to stick with it for then? Uh, I think it sort of petered out. I think I would have stuck with it for most of this year and probably most of 1989. Um, it started to peter out when there was a big redesign. I'm not sure if it was 1990. And I think the redesign, along with me losing interest in a lot of the people they were covering, meant I stopped buying it regularly. I was sort of feeling a bit like, mm, a bit like all the new things. <laughs> I liked it how it was. Yeah, yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Um, so I, I probably did keep buying it for for a fair bit, but maybe I wouldn't buy it every fortnight. Yeah. Lesson. <laughs> Until I started working there, and then I was looking at it every fortnight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I guess because of your brother and his influence, you, know, you, you probably graduated to the older music press at an earlier age. I you? definitely would have flicked. I would have been flicking through the enemy and not understanding it at this point. Um and I think that was the tech for me in the enemy, you know, I didn't start to buy and really enjoy the enemy until about 1993, four before then I would read it. I would read his copy, but I wouldn't be able to, it was so impenetrable mm. <laughs> um, to me. So I, I would only, I would take away scraps and, you know, in those, in those years I was kind of finding my way. I was, fell in love with R.E.M. and I, you know, got into U2 and had a really intense queen face, <laughs> which is now looking back quite ill-advised, but there we go. So I would, you know, I would dip into Q and all these other things. Oh, I was, I was, I was a right jumble. Um, I was a bit of a jumble of everything. Yeah. And, you know, obviously my brother does a David Bowie podcast. So he got obsessed with David Bowie. I think about 1990, he might, he might beg to differ, but, I think the Changes Bowie compilation album in 1990 was a big deal. Mm. I remember that was a massive deal for him, therefore me. So I, I was a bit all over the shop because I had, you know, there was this kind of pre-teen me and then there was this Q-reader me as well. And um, I didn't understand half of the stuff I was reading, but I gobbled it up all the same. Yeah, well, I think that just about wraps things up. Hope you've enjoyed your ride on the carousel and going going back I to have, those days. I, yeah. think, I have. I have. I enjoy, as you know, I enjoy rambling about pop music forever. So <laughs> it's not it's not been any hardship for me. Well, the perfect podcast for you then, right? Yeah. <laughs> Good. Well, thank you for joining us, and thanks to you lot out there for listening. Don't forget to check out our website, giddypoppod.home.blog, where you'll find the links to the issue of Smash It's that we've been looking at, along with those Spotify and YouTube playlists so you can enjoy your ride on the carousel to its fullest. And, of course, you can check out our previous episodes, playlists and scans, our back issues, if you will, while you're there. And, of course, if you would like to support us by buying us a coffee, we'd be forever in your debt. It's coffee.com forward slash giddy pop pod that's ko hyphen fi dot com forward slash giddy pop pod is where you can go to do that and come and say hello to us at giddy pop pod on twitter facebook and instagram and we may 
if we're feeling generous, but we always are, aren't we, Si? We'll say hello back to you. If we notice the notification. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so thanks once again for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Giddy Carousel of Pop. Bye! Bye! Bye. Bye.